Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to bring you episode 279 on Ooh. our road to 300. And it's Vincent's selection this week. It is. As we review from 1983... Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Ralph Bellamy, mm. Donna Michi. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I buried the lead. Mm. Eddie Murphy. Yes. In John Landis Trading Places. You're not going to talk about the, the very important cast member who plays cellmate number two? Oh, yes. That's right. Featuring... <laughs> In a featured role <laughs> that you cannot miss as cellmate number two. Cellmate number two. One Giancarlo Esposito. Giancarlo Esposito. Yes, this is where it all begins. <laughs> as cellmate number two. As he, be- as he began practicing his for his role in uh, Breaking Bad. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It all began on Trading Places. As cellmate number two. <laughs> um... Hey, what's up, Vince? Oh, nothing much. How are you? I'm doing very good fine. to see you. Good holiday. Good, good. I did have a good holiday. I forgot, you know, almost forgot this is our first show. I know, holiday. I know. The days they do fly. Um, I did have a good holiday. I had Excellent. a friend's giving at my house. Oh, very nice. It was very, very good time. Oh, um, here in the bat base? Right here in the bat base. Look at you serving yes. as host. Yes, yes. I love it. People were here till two in the morning. All right. We had a ball. Sound and yourself? The same, you know, Thanksgiving with family. Mm-hmm. Back and forth. We went down to Baltimore, saw the family. Oh, that's cool. Came back here. Yeah, absolutely. Do you still have any leftovers? No, we don't. Well, see, the thing is, because we ate down there. Oh, so you, did, so you didn't bring any leftovers? We didn't bring home. any leftovers home. I mean, we had a little mini, like, like Wendy made like a, she, she's the... The, the the macaroni and cheese oh, of that her right, the, yeah. she's the designated macaroni and cheese mm-hmm. maker so she mm-hmm. made one pan for her family one pan for my family mm-hmm. and then we had a miniature pan here in okay. Philadelphia so okay. we had that you know of course she made a pound cake or, or three <laughs> again so the Camille bake she did not. Oh, she did not. Nothing, nothing, nothing for Thanksgiving. I'm sure she'll be baking for Christmas. For Christmas. Yeah, Christmas. Now I have to get my order in. I was, I was just about to say the orders are trickling in. So she's, uh, I got to get ahead of the curve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for yeah. Her, for her, uh, her 10,000 pound chocolate cake. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yeah, it was good. Thanksgiving, you know. That's good. A lot of holidays. Well, we hope every one of you out there in the chat watching as we are streaming live to Facebook and YouTube had a very happy Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Beginning of your holiday season, Absolutely. as it were. Uh, Farrell Blackwell said he had sushi. Oh, Thanksgiving. Very nice. That is very nice. Very nice. We didn't have uh, turkey here. We had Cornish hens. How do you like Cornish hens? I mean, it's chicken. I like it. It's good. Actually turned out pretty decent. Yeah, I, I can never get over the hump of Cornish because they're like little chickens. Mm-hmm. So I can never really, I've never really embraced the Cornish hen. No, I mean, it's it, you can eat like a whole Cornish hen. What I like about it is that a Cornish hen, I think maybe because they're young, mm-hmm. like I'm not a fan of chicken breasts because I feel 
like the white meat is dry. Right, right, but right. On the corner if it is not cooked correctly. Okay. Um, but the Cornish hen, it don't matter. It's like it's 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 juicy. Right, throughout. the whole thing is juicy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I enjoyed it. Perhaps I will revisit Cornish hen. You hens. should revisit the Cornish hen. Revisit the Cornish hen. Yes. Okay. All, All right. right. Excellent. All right. Uh Damon. Oh, my, my brother. Your brother says Cornish hens freak me out like veal does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, whole, veal. the whole baby ass. I, I think I, I just learned right now. I didn't I don't think I knew that a Cornish hen was a young chicken i thought it was just i thought it was a type of a type bird. Of hen right or right the, the hen of a type of bird like oh i assume there was a cornish rooster oh. until this exact second like i didn't know that but oh. now it because you know veal is just i know just <laughs> just <laughs> ethically yeah yeah that, that, uh. right. mm. like anytime you have to talk about humanely killing the baby cow mm-hmm. as an argument for it mm-hmm. it's like you know what I'll I'll pass. Yeah, yeah. I'll pass. I know it's not the same thing, but I saw, I get that same type of vibe with lamb chops because I like lamb chops. Mm. But you know, animation has taught me that lambs are adorable. Lambs are adorable. Cute and cuddly. They're cute and cuddly. I've I've never I, I didn't eat lamb ah. growing up, so I never. I've well, never I mean, been we didn't a lamb freak like perfect, lamb chops person. were definitely a delicacy. Yeah, but it was a delicacy my mom would serve like maybe once every three or four months. Sure, and I I, I enjoyed them. And yeah, I, I haven't had. I probably haven't had lamb chops in it probably a good 10, 20 years. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by what you just said though about like like you don't you resist lamb because of how it looks. Yeah, because it, that that's kind of interesting to me. Sort of social mores of what is and is not acceptable to eat. Well, yeah. Like, like, you know, we don't in, in, in certain parts of the West, we don't, we would never eat a dog. Right. Or we wouldn't eat a horse. And I said, mm-hmm. certain part, cause you know, in France, it used to be a delicate. And I think there are parts that it's still a delicacy would, that you would be eat surprised. horse, but th- there's really no reason to eat a cow or eat a pig mm-hmm. and not eat other, like eat a lamb. In fact, a pig is actually smarter I know. than all those other animals. I know. Which, and people have no problem eating pork. I know. So I th- I think honestly, I think that's part of the reason why the um the the book Animal Farm mm-hmm. was created. Because that was George Orwell. Right. And and he wanted to, he was celebrating the intelligence think, of pigs. I think he was commissioned. He was commissioned. Right. Right. He was commissioned by the American Beef Association. Okay. To put pigs in a bad light. Right. So that we would be fine. Yes. With eating pork. Right. Not, not only fine with it, but I think the implication was if we don't eat the pigs, this is what they might rise up. Exactly. Because you remember, it's a little vague at the beginning of Animal mm-hmm, Farm mm-hmm. how they take over the farm. Mm-hmm. Like, they just sort of hand wave it. Hey, the animals are now in charge of the farm. Now we're going to get to the story. Yeah. And it's only like years later, you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What all actually went down? And then you see what went down. Yeah. Yeah. Adam has a storybook called um, I forget the name of it. It's, it's like it's it's like click clack moo click clack moo and it's about a farm where some cows get hold of a typewriter (laughs) 
and they write to the farmer and they're talking and they're telling the farmer what they want. Like, you know, it's cold in the barn, so we should have blankets. And, and you know, it escalates from there. Like, like the, 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 chi- the chickens get in on it. And then the end of the book, the ducks have the typewriter. Oh my and God. the ducks are like, you know, it's like click, clack, quack, click, clack, quack. We want a diving board for our pond. Mm. But as someone who has read Animal Farm, it is kind of there's this ominous undertone to me to it was like these animals out in the farm like there's a part where the cows are talking to each other and the other farm animals are trying to listen but they don't speak cow mm-hmm. so they don't know what the cows are saying mm-hmm. and like I'm reading it to Adam and I'm like this 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 feels I don't know how comfortable I am with this story yeah so it, it it actually sounds like the far side, the children's book. Right. That's what right, it sounds right, like. Right, right, right. And it's just like this, you know, this is economic blackmail. Like they're like, we're not going to give you milk. And and then, like I said, the chickens get on get in on it. And the chickens are like, you know, we're not going to lay eggs mm. until you do this. And this is back and forth. That is that, but that is surprisingly what happens in Animal Farm. It, it, I'm, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, I mean, man, it's all connected. You and you never know where we're going on this show. It's all connected. But I'm glad you enjoyed your Cornish hens. I did. I did. I think you should indulge in some lamb. Maybe. If you like the lamb. Maybe. If you eat some veal, you probably shouldn't share that with people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we see where lambs are on. Go ahead and eat some lamb. Go ahead and eat some lamb. As a matter of fact, I got some lamb here. Right. Man, lamb chop right here, right, man. Right. It's a commodity. <laughs> you ever see the, the, the vans selling meat in the summer? Like selling like steaks and stuff. You've never, no, I've never seen no like at they a like truck? yeah, yeah, like they like kind of drive through parking lots no, selling meat. I've never seen that. Okay, well, good, because don't buy that meat. No, I wouldn't. Don't buy meat off a truck. I'm not buying just meat random off meat. a truck. Just random meat. I mean, quite as kept, I'm a little suspect of the trucks that sell the produce. But, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll go, you'll go I can that. see that you can get produce. You produce. can re-up it every day. Right, 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 right. But not, I'm not sure. Just a dude with the freezer selling meat? Some trucker with a, calls himself a butcher? No. A trucker, trucker with a butcher. Okay. All right, fair enough. No. Fair enough. That's well, like hustle man come up. Hey, as long as we're on the <laughs> same page. <laughs> You want some crab legs? You want some crab legs? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yes. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. You're right. We, you never know where we're going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Never. Like, how the hell did we get here? Well, you start talking about Cornish hens. Who knew Cornish hens were going to yeah, take Yeah, Cornish hens just, yeah. The slaughter of the la- silence of the lambs. <laughs> we got a couple of emails from Sharon Eldridge. Hey, Sharon. Hey, y'all. I was listening to the I Am Not Your Negro episode today. Okay. And recorded this in response to the pre-review Six Degrees segment. I did did a voice recording. uh, I did a voice recording that I was going to then type, but then also clearly thought I was doing a voice to text because you'll hear me (laughs) speaking some punctuation in there. Sorry about that. Anyway... I love Sharon. Anyway, thought I would just send you the voice recording. 
because I actually think that works better than an email in this case. Okay, all right, okay. Please do not feel obligated to read this on air. <laughs> but I just had to share these thoughts with you. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> also, I love this episode. And I too saw I Am Not Your Negro in theaters in 2016 and had a lot of feels as well. James Baldwin understood this country better than it understands itself. Okay. She did send us a, a voice recording. I just want to start by saying how much respect I have for both of you. And I'm so aware of your tremendous breadth of knowledge on so many topics and, and films. This episode, though, made me realize... Maybe there's one topic related to film in which I may know more than you, and that is the films of Meryl Streep. <laughs> when I saw The River Wild in high school, I was like, whoa, she's great. And I promptly started renting all the films of hers I could get my hands on. One of those films is Julia, an early film for Meryl Streep from the late 70s, I think, question mark, in which... She starts with Jane Fonda, period. Further, comma, she starred in Ironweed with Jack Nicholson. And even further, she starred in Postcards from the Edge with Shirley MacLaine. In addition, when I first heard the Derville Martin to Meryl Streep, I thought, oh, Derville Martin to Sidney Poitier in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner to Sidney Poitier, to Robert Redford in Sneakers, and Robert Redford to Meryl Streep in a little film called Out of Africa, speaking of Oscar bait. I just, listening to you all try to make that connection was so comically torturous for me. And I'm so sorry that I missed that live stream because I would have chimed in. Uh, and I hope I'll be around if the subject of Meryl Streep and any um, puzzles concerning her ever comes up. Love you guys. Sharon sent us a PS. Okay, okay. A postscript. A postscript to the recording. Just a follow-up <laughs> to my recording. Y'all took me back to my younger days when I actually cared and knew about all kinds of white people films. <laughs> Okay. You know, there are some films with white people that are quite good. There are more than a few. She actually sent us a third postscript. <laughs> a post-postscript. Which just, a PPS. Which just said happy Thanksgiving. Oh, thank you. So that was nice. Hope you had a happy one as well. Lynn had Cornish hens. <laughs> uh, we have an email from Jason Buckner. Buckner. Hey, Jason. Hello, hello. Hello, yourself. I've been a listener of the podcast for several years. Oh, very and nice. And I think I found the pod while doing some personal research about Debbie Allen, which led to one thing, which led to another podcast, which led to the Michelle Mission as a suggested pod on my feed. Okay, very nice. Six degrees of Michelle De Mission right there. I was about to say, and Debbie Allen. I really appreciate your perspective and enjoy the guests you have on the show sometimes for new insights and really good stories including frequent guest and friend of mine, 
Dorian Missick. Hey! As a pop culture vulture, and also as a producer, I have some unique insights and stories as well, and would love to be a guest on your pod and discuss the film Dancing in September. Dog. Written and directed by Reggie Bythewood. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. It is so fun. Boy, that is funny that he would ask about that. You said Jason? Mm-hmm. Jason, just since, since you actually, this is quite timely. We have, a, 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 you know, I'm not going to announce it early, but we are going to go off the path a little bit mm-hmm. and we'll be, we'll be addressing a, a television movie. Yes. Or a television miniseries. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that. And then earlier today, someone had posted that clip from Always Outnumbered, Always Outgun, like that wonderful scene mm-hmm. with Isaiah Washington mm-hmm. and Lawrence Fishburne. And I was thinking, you know, okay, well, we already said what we're, we're going to do, what you and I said we were going to do, but we got to do Always Outnumbered, Always Outgun, which was an HBO film. Right. Just like Dancing in September, mm-hmm. which then had me think about like there's all of these really rich texts mm-hmm. that would be great for us to do, but they weren't released in theaters. Right. right. So we got to figure out a space form. And so, and, and we, I, it looks like not really showing you how the sausage is made, but based on some recent conversations between us. We're figuring out a way to make this thing happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so, dancing dancing in September is 100% on that list. And and yeah, absolutely. Yes. Any friend yes. of Dorian's is a friend of ours. Yes. So and Unless it's a friend of Dorian's who's our enemy. I feel like you should lead that space. Like, I don't want it. Like, I don't know who Dorian knows. No, we don't. So, you know, Dorian might know somebody that's not a friend of ours. Well, we do know someone. Oh, right. <laughs> Right. Well, right. So any who I think would be yeah, considered an yes. enemy. Any friend of Dorian's is a friend of ours. He's an enemy of mine. Unless, of course, they're not. <laughs> but yes, but it's not Jason. But not Jason. Thank you. Who, yes. who then says thank you for your great work and Jason, thank you. And we will definitely be in touch with absolutely, you. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you see Dorian before we do, tell him we said hey. And happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving. Lynn had Cornish hens. <laughs> Uh, we got an email from Maurice Poplar. Hey, oh, hey, hey, Maurice. Hey, Mo. <laughs> Hello, missionaries. Hello, missionaries. Yeah. That's all I can say. Loved y'all review. I am not your Negro. One note to it all. James Baldwin came back to America in 1957 and jumped into the civil rights movement with two feet. Paul Robeson attempted to return to the U.S. in 1960. And it took him three years to be allowed in. Mm. Baldwin really stirred up some stuff. Mm-hmm. In other news, tis the season, and I'm tempted to resurrect the quintessential Black Christmas playlist conversation. But why disrupt <laughs> the show like that? Right. right. Hey, look, Mo. look. It is it is tradition in my house. I am the the Christmas song fascist mm-hmm. like i i, I we, we cannot do christmas anything until after we eat thanksgiving dinner but I, like i i like i got gravy on my shirt and i'm turning on the temptations really yeah 
So, so I, I'm, I'm deep into the Christmas music now. Did you fire up the Task Rabbit to get somebody to put your lights up? Yeah. <laughs> no. No. I did not. No. Not yet. Yeah. I, not yet. The weekend's young. Yeah. So. All right. But yeah, we can always talk about Christmas. Well, we can't always talk about Christmas music, but we can talk about Christmas music now because it's after Thanksgiving. We can talk about Christmas That's music right. right now. But not today. Not today. Even though we could, because this, because actually, uh, just a little bit of trivia that might might not come up. Oh, I forgot where it was. I think it's um, where's that country? There's a country that actually plays the trading places every Christmas Eve. And a country, or well, a station, a station. Uh, oh, in, oh, oh, in, a station, a station in. But it's like it's an overseas country. It's not like oh, it's okay. not like a city in America. Oh, that's interesting. It's a, a, yeah, they play. Uh, all right, now I brought it up. I gotta find it. I mean, look, we were, we'll get into it in the view. You and I kind of joked about, it, but I think this is one hundred percent a Christmas movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's Christmas throughout the thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, but I think it it actually is almost a, a Christmas themed movie. Oh, really? Like, like this is well, and we'll talk about it. Like, I like this really felt like a Christmas movie as I was watching it, like a cold dark christmas movie well yeah with two attempted suicide attempts and implied gorilla rape well i i guess technically is implied i have a funny feeling you don't even think it's implied i don't think it's implied <laughs> i don't think it's implied his eyes were quite dead and soulless in the second scene yes yeah, yeah. yes yeah they were they were they were soulless all right uh, Janine in the chat is actually saying, I definitely fired up my Christmas movie, right? My Christmas music. Oh, yeah. Already. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings Christmas album is fire. Look, ain't no chimneys in the projects. That's from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings uh, Christmas album. I've never heard the Christmas It's a great album and I mean, it's I a love great them. song. Yeah. I, I've never heard yeah. Ain't no chimneys in the project. In the projects. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we have time to talk about Christmas music later on. There you go. In the month. In the month. In the month. Within the month. the month. So get your playlist together. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, because they are going in on playlists. I know right they now. are. It is time, Vincent. It is time for us to play All right. our new, that new favorite All right. game. All that right. Is sweeping the nation. Sweeping the nation. Yes. Taking the nation by storm. Yes. It's your your you're a fan of it, ladies and gentlemen, and so are we. We're going to play Six Degrees of Derville Martin. Six Degrees of Derville Martin. All, All right, right. ready, Vincent? I'm and I'm I'm look. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna try not to pull up his IMDb. Okay. All right, go because I kind of add every week to. All right, so go ahead. Who no. we got? Six Degrees of Derville. Six Martin. moves or less. Get from Derville Martin to who? Utilizing films. Viola Davis. Viola Davis. Six degrees of separation to Viola Davis. Okay. All right. So. Six degrees of Derville Martin. Derville Martin. To Viola. To Viola Davis. Davis. See, and this is just like I've, I try to do this honestly and not cheat. Mm -hmm. Because I was 
tempted to lay out a couple of players oh. to connect them to. And if I had done this, I could have gone to Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because the thing about Viola Davis, she's in The Help. Mm-hmm. She's in Fences. Mm-hmm. What other movie is she? And I know she's been in. What other movie? Yes. What other movie is Viola Davis in? Well, unfortunately, she's in Green Lantern. Um, right. See, I, I didn't see Green Lantern. You're lucky. Yeah. She's in. Oh, she's in Suicide Squad. She's in Suicide Squad. Both of them. No. Yeah, she's in both of them, right? I think she is. I think I think she's in the first one. I I'm can't pretty remember. sure she's in the first one. I mean, one. I know she's in the, the most recent. I know that. I'm trying to think of what's the movie Widows. Yeah, see, I didn't see Widows. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, I remember Girl, you talking Cynthia about Arrebo. when it was Yeah. I mean, I she spent so much time on TV. Mm-hmm. I know she's in other movies. I can't. I can't think of what movie. Uh, Janine is letting us know from the chat that yes, she is in both uh, both Suicide Squads. Jesus. Jesus. Um. Hmm. All right, Vince. We can't last. I know. I know. Oh, Derville Martin was in three. Derville Martin was in Three the Hard Way with Jim Brown, who was in I'm Going to Get You Sucker with... Jim Brown was not in I'm Going to Get You Sucker, was he? I thought he was the third one, because it's Isaac Hayes. It's, it's Isaac Hayes. Bernie Casey. Is that Jim Brown? Oh, yeah, I thought it was... Is, is it's it Bernie not? Casey, Isaac... No, I think you're right. He is in I'm Going to Get You Sucker one. with Jim Brown. Right. Who's in I'm Going to Get You Sucker with, with Jim Brown with so can you get to there from either Keenan or uh because the other thing I was maybe trying to get to American Gangster oh to get to Denzel yeah and it's a an American Gangster is, is pretty target rich yeah but like and it's like random like T.I. is in there like I oh, like you know, T.I. is go, good we probably should try and go to through Ruby D Ruby D. Who plays who plays Denzel's mother in, in American Gangster? It's Ruby D. Right. So I'm just trying to think of, I'm trying to think of the 70s to get you into the 90s. Right. You know what I mean? Wow, we we, we both failing. Yeah. We, I mean, we can't linger on this too long. No, we can't. So who do, who are the old white women in the help? I mean, the the only older person in there really is Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek is in the help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't get from Jane Fonda to Sissy Spacek? Sissy Spacek, uh, actually, you know, she she's very circumspect about it, but you know who else is in the help, though? Cecily Tyson. Cecily Tyson there's, is in... There's, there's gotta be a connector. The help. Oh, Paul Winfield is not in anything that can get us to Derville Martin. Because he's in um, Sounder with Cicely Tyson. Oh, that's true. All right, Paul Winfield. Let's bring up his... And another one, and I couldn't figure out. I couldn't get to Richard Pryor from Derville Martin. 
which I know is just ridiculous. Oh, you could get to Richard Pryor from Derville Martin. Get oh, you to Richard- go to Fred Williamson. Oh, and then you go to here Ed we Ma- go. Boom. Here we go. Work with me. Derville Martin is in the final come down with Billy D. Williams. Okay. Well, That's there one. You, there you go. Billy D. Williams is in, you know, take your pick. Lady Sings the Blues or Bingo Long with Richard, Richard Pryor. Pryor. Right. Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to get to Viola Davis. Yes. Right. Okay, boom. There you go. You're there. Richard Pryor is in... Bustin' Loose. Bustin' Loose. With Cecily Tyson. With Cecily Tyson. Cecily Tyson is in The Help with Viola Viola Davis. Whew. Whew. (laughs) (laughs) Whew. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. You should cut out some of that <laughs> when you edit it. So it seems like we were like, bam, bam, bam. Yes. Only you watching this live <laughs> will know exactly how much of an hour passed. Right, right, right. The final come down is one that I've been keeping in my pocket since you said it. Right. Because so many Because Billy D. Williams opens up mm-hmm. a lot of different. Like, I'm looking for key players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. We're going to have to keep Billy D. Williams on tuck. Right, right. Well, well, Billy D. Williams gets me to Richard Pryor. No, but and then like Richard you said, Pryor. Billy D. Williams gets you to. Oh, hell. If you use Bingo Long, you get that, to a bunch of James that, Earl that's Jones. That's James Earl Jones. Um, Richard Pryor. Um, oh, I just threw a blank on the, the guy. Uh, Mabel King, who I think is surprisingly right. useful. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else. I feel like different. Frank Ajay is in there, which gets you to 80s movies. A bunch of people are in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bingo Long. Getting a Bingo Long is a good... Okay. All right. So next week, it's going to run smoother. Because <laughs> gotta... <laughs> I'm just adding to... I'm just adding to my... um Dervell. My, yes. my Dur- Dervell box. Right. Yeah. Very true. Uh, Toya Haynes says she loves how Vincent has blocked out that Viola Davis was in Medea Goes to Jail. Oh my gosh. That's she right. Sure, she sure she is. She sure was. She sure was in Medea Goes to Jail. Because we both. <laughs> because said, we actually. God the hell. Why is Viola Davis in. Oh, uh, Toya, that's not nice. You didn't have to call me out because I 100% forgot about that. <laughs> Once you bring once you bring Medea into it, oh, like, that unlocks that unlocks. Because Cecily Tyson is in at least two Medea movies. I think she's in every. So so you get to Cecily. T- is is she in Medea? She's not in Medea Goes to Jail. I don't remember. I don't think she's in. Yeah, that. I don't think she's in that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. She's in a lot of them. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I hate to say it, but Tyler Perry is a useful tool well, to have what, in that toolbox. Well, that's our black exploitation to. Yeah. Right, right. Like, right, right. The thing is, you got to get from the 70s to current times. Something like when you like, like I see how you do. Like you, like you never say get to like um Thomas Rosello. No, (laughs) no, you don't have to cross the street. (laughs) Right, right. We want you to at least do one full move. Right, right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Let's not be too full of ourselves and act like right. This take a half hour. This is how you crash and burn right here. You take so many things from your parents. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I take take from my mom is that my mom, when she would meet someone new, regardless of where she met them, whether or not they came into her house or whether or not she was in the doctor's office just sitting talking to somebody, and especially if they were a younger person, which as my mom got up in age, everybody was younger. Sure. She would spark up a conversation with them and she would invariably ask them about what they're doing, you know, as far as like their, you know, what job they had or something like that. And then mm-hmm. she would ask them about what they really wanted especially mm. if they were younger, like in the sure. 20s and stuff. And my mom was always big on encouraging people to, if that's what you, really what you want to do, then find your way to doing that. Okay, you know, Excellent. Especially if they weren't doing that. She was always big on encouraging people to do that. And I always thought that that was a beautiful thing. And I try to take it with me in when I engage with people, which is why sometimes I can come off like I'm interviewing people mm-hmm. because I'm honestly just asking. I'm wondering what, what you're doing if you're actually doing what you want to do. Right. Right. So it is in that vein that I am putting it out there. And I hope Vincent doesn't mind me doing this, that if you watching the show mission or someone that is interested in getting into podcasting and wants to, you know, pick our brains about how to do it, please feel free to email us at the mission at gmail.com. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, we ask for people to send us their thoughts and concerns and we ask for people to give us five-star rating and reviews because that helps people find the show as well, you know, and all that type of stuff. And we, we mean that. But I know that there are a ton of people out there that want to get into podcasting. I have absolutely no problem sitting down and talking to somebody you know, giving them at least a little bit of advice about how to do it. Um, and we, as we are making our way to 300, mm-hmm. you know, it's a celebration for a podcast to get to 300 episodes. Yes. Um, because it means you've been doing this for consistently for, for a while. And, you know, like to think that we've gotten a little good at it. Well, I think we're better than we were. I hope so. Which is what I always, <laughs> well, I think we're better than we were. Yeah. When was work? Well, last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so I want to, we offering, you know, the benefit of whatever knowledge we have. So email us if you are interested in getting the podcast, hit us up on all the social media, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, at me show mission. This will get our, our social media director um, very upset because you're like, Len, you're asking for all these people to, to tweet at us and she'll have to, you know, call them all together and send them our way. But, Thank you for doing what you do. And that's what you get for reminding me of Viola Davis was in a Tyler Perry movie. <laughs> and you can email us at mishowmission at gmail.com. All right. All right. All right. All right. It is time for us to get into our All review right. of Trading Places. Trading Places. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. I'll bet that that man could run our company as well as Winthorpe. This is outrageous. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not a thief. We want to help you, Mr. Valentine, with a home of your own. And that was a fake, right? We paid $35,000 for it. An employment with our company. (laughs) 
what's going to happen to me? Oh, I'm going to regret this, bud. Get in. Champagne for everybody. You are making a career decision here. This man is physically threatening me. He's being driven around in my car. He could be living in my house. Hey, 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 hey! Have you people ever heard of toasters? You're a dead man, Valentine! Yeah. It was the toast. Trading Places, a 1983 American comedy directed by John Landis, written by Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrod, stars Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, Ralph Bellamy, Don Amici, Denham Elliott, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Tells the story of an upper-class commodities broker and a poor street hustler <clears throat> whose lives cross when they are unwittingly made the subject of an elaborate bet to test how each man will perform when their life circumstances are swapped. This film from 1983, produced on a budget of $15 million, would go on to gross $90 million that year. And is Vincent's selection for this stop, our 289th episode. Here on the Michelle Mission, Vincent, what say you of trading places? I think first and foremost, when you talk about trading places as, as a film mm -hmm. and the craft of film, mm -hmm. I, I was not surprised at all. I was not surprised. I think this film, just as an example of film, when we talk about quality, right, is is a masterpiece. And and this is something that when you look at the reviews and the history of the reaction to this film, fairly quickly, people acknowledged mm -hmm. how good this film is. Right. And today going in and watching it, having the luxury of, of watching it for however many times, I really just looked at every aspect of the film right. from that perspective. I love the costumes mm -hmm. in this film. Like, like I love the costume. I mean, obviously the men all are wearing these immaculate suits and, and, and everything, but also like, like, like Dan Aykroyd has three outfits. Like he has an outfit where he comes out of prison where he has on like this leather jacket. Right. He has the outfit that he makes up out of Jamie Lee Curtis's character's closet. Mm -hmm. But it, it is very much this, this very provocative leftovers outfit and scummy, drunk, suicidal Lewis Winthrop Santa Claus <laughs> has been one of my favorite visuals since this film came out. Mm -hmm. The setting, this has a wonderful sense of place. Famously filmed in Philadelphia. Right. This this is Philadelphia. This is yeah. 1983 Philadelphia. It is it is filmed in the city as someone who moved to this city 20 years after this film was made. Mm -hmm. It still still feels like Philly like there are so 
many parts both outside and inside yeah, yeah. that feel like philly like like those row houses in rittenhouse square these clubs mm-hmm. these these kind of crappy apartments <laughs> it, it's just a great sense of place mm-hmm. that john landis creates yes in this film Speaking of John Landis, his his I mean I mean his direction is 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 fan is masterful. Mm-hmm. Like it's absolutely masterful from scene to scene. It is edited beautifully. Yeah. It is seamless as it goes from scene to scene. I had a little speaking of eating eat, eating during movies. Like at one point I wanted to get up and like grab some grab some chips or something. Mm-hmm. It is impossible to find a moment in this film where you say, okay, well, I'll pause it here yeah, yeah. and go get something. Like the momentum <laughs> is just ongoing. Yeah. The screenplay is razor sharp. I love this script so much. Obviously, Billy Ray Valentine gets a lot of the lines and the you know oh y'all just a couple of bookies mm-hmm. you know karate man brews on the inside <laughs> but every character really has this great these great moments and and you know it's just a wonderful script mm-hmm. acting wise from the outside and um <laughs> you know i have to say between the vice principal in the breakfast club and Clarence Beak in this. Paul Gleason, to me, is the quintessential 80s bad guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, he really does, in, uh, you know, encompass this sort of... Like, comedic bad guy. Comedic bad guy, but he really is just this wonderful asshole. Yes, yes. Like, just, just hits it so well. Mm-hmm. I've said for years, I think this is a cold movie. Like, I think this is a real cold movie, and we'll I'll talk about that in a moment. But in this cold movie with a whole bunch of cold people, Denholm um, Elliott oh. as Coleman is really the heart. Yeah. Like, like, like in a film that, again, I think is real cold and amoral, he's the one character mm-hmm. that you sense a bit of humanity. Yeah. And I'll, I've always said I think he's the secret weapon of trading places and kind of the glue mm-hmm. that holds it together. And you kind of see the stakes mm-hmm. in this film. This is famously Jamie Lee Curtis's foray into quote unquote, serious films. Yeah. Like she was, you know, she was in Halloween before this she gets out of the genre. Right. Right. Yeah. She gets out of the genre. Like she was really on her way to become, um, screen queen, a, a scream queen. A, 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 I always, think of um and i just lost her name adrian barbeau mm-hmm. like she was yep. well on her way to becoming adrian barbeau yes and she gets her shot in 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 trading places and she's really good yep like she's really good like like she really there's there's this intelligence mm-hmm. that comes across there's this savviness mm-hmm. that comes across that that really elevates this role there's charm because she's really charming in this too that i think elevates her role speaking of bad guys you know i just mentioned it with beaks i i I love the duke brothers (laughs) i 
adore the Dukes mm-hmm. so much. And and you can tell that they they have transcended this film. Like like they show up, you know, once after this and then once in spirit mm-hmm. after this. But they are beautiful as villains. Yep. And um Ralph Bellamy and Donna Michi, you know, at this point they are veteran actors. They are veteran actors, but they are they 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 really do this great job of being terrible people, mm-hmm. but there's a certain charm to them. Yeah. Yep. Like like they really do have that old school Hollywood charm to mm-hmm. them. Where until there's a moment where it's like a slap in the face where you go, oh, right. These are terrible people. <laughs> These are terrible human beings, right. I love the Dukes. Mm-hmm. I love them so much. I, I really wish they had spun off into their own movie, frankly. Hmm. Like like when they show up in Coming to America and they're they're homeless on the street until Akeem gives them the, 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 the wad of money. Yeah, yeah. I wanted a movie leading up to that. But then I wanted a movie after that to see how they get to the point where then they've rebuilt themselves and you get that quick cameo in coming to America mm-hmm. where their grandson is now running the business. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd, this is my favorite Dan Aykroyd performance, full stop. I like Ghostbusters. I like the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. Hell, I like Dr. Detroit. Okay. I don't think Dan Aykroyd was ever as good as he was, as he is in this. Mm-hmm. I, I think he, I think his performance is brilliant. And, mm-hmm. and I think for the, the, the fireworks you get with Billy Ray Valentine, I think there is a subtlety to his physical performance. Mm-hmm. Like before things go off the rails and he's a rich guy. Yeah. But there's a hint of mockery in the way he plays it oh yeah 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 i love dan and then when dan Aykroyd kind of loses it like i said dan Aykroyd, dan Aykroyd (laughs) on skid row is amazing dan Aykroyd sneaking in in the santa claus outfit (laughs) is amazing stuffing salmon down his his, uh it is tunic absolutely amazing and you know eddie murphy what can you say about Eddie Murphy in Trading Places? I think I mentioned it last week. I think this is the promise fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Like 48 Hours introduced the world to Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And then this is the film where he fulfilled the promise. Mm-hmm. This is not my favorite Eddie Murphy movie. I am, you know, coming to the aforementioned coming to America is my favorite Eddie Murphy movie. Arguably, this isn't my favorite Eddie Murphy performance. Okay. I I think, you know, I'm a Bowfinger guy. Yeah. I think he does really, really amazing work in Bowfinger. Mm-hmm. But I think this is pure. Well, like it, if, yeah, it makes sense. Like if like if I had to explain to somebody mm-hmm. why Eddie Murphy is a big deal, mm-hmm. I would show them trading places. Mm-hmm. So again, top to bottom, left to right, side to side, inside and outside. This is a quality film, and it's it did not surprise me at all. What did surprise me is how urgent and timeless this film felt watching it this afternoon. I think uh, again, there there's one one of the things that I've always kind of wondered, 
and I figured it out today. Like, like you and I were, were talking and people have talked kind of like with this in a movie like Die Hard. Mm -hmm. Is this a Christmas movie? Mm -hmm. Because it takes place during the holidays. Yes. And I figured out today it is very much a Christmas movie because of when it takes place. Mm -hmm. But also where it takes place. Because the other thing that I've always kind of tried to figure out is why was it filmed in Philadelphia? Like why not New York? But Philadelphia, the way that John Landis pre presents Philadelphia, it feels like London. Oh, like this feels like London because the whole film, and this is not, you know, other people have said this, like this isn't my great observation. There is this great um, Dickensian feel to it. Like Definitely. this feels like, you know, there's a quick reference to um a christmas carol mm -hmm. you know it feels like oliver twist like this feels like something charles dickens would have written mm -hmm. and i think the difference between philadelphia the way they present philadelphia and new york is that the chasm between the haves and the have-nots is huge Okay. Like, I think New York is so cosmopolitan. Obviously, there are very poor people in New York, and there are very rich people in New York. Mm -hmm. But it's just very everything in New York, because mm -hmm. it's New York. Mm -hmm. But the way John Landis puts together Philadelphia in this film, it really does feel like it is the underclass, and it is an overclass. And okay. when these two trade, this is what you get. I love the um there's this wonderful trick that the film plays at the very beginning where they 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 go to Winthrop's house and and we see his morning ritual and and you know the buck Coleman comes in and he makes some breakfast and and you know it's again it's one of these beautiful brownstones mm -hmm. down in Rittenhouse Square which is an area here in Philadelphia and and it's just gorgeous in there and then he brings him his breakfast and it's croissants and it's his paper and he shaves him and you think Oh yeah, Winthorpe is doing it. Like this dude is doing it. You know, he's got a butler and he's doing, but then they show you where the Dukes live. Yeah. yeah. And the Dukes have an actual Bruce Wayne type mansion. Yeah. And they have a staff. Right. It's and like they seen out of Downton Abbey. Right. Like they like these are actual rich people. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. you realize is that Winthorpe works for them yes which puts a whole another connotation which puts a whole another connotation on it. and i think one of the things that is noteworthy is that they treat him like the help mm -hmm. even before they make the bet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there's this wonderful commentary on capitalism and again this great gap mm -hmm. between people who are actually rich mm -hmm people who are actually poor mm -hmm. people who are poor but don't actually know they're poor until they know they're poor like like it's this wonderful moment where the dukes after they make the switch and the dukes tell billy ray that you know this is your house and these are your items you know these are your but but that's actually not true right that belongs to the dukes like right. all of y'all work for me so just there mm -hmm. i thought that was great mm-hmm but then I love the fact that 
this is not really a moral universe. Like like Billy Ray Valentine and and Lewis Winthrop, they aren't good guys. Like I love the fact that after the switch, Billy Ray Valentine actually turns into that guy where he says, you know, you got to throw him in jail and and this that and other. You can't be easy on them and so on and so forth. And when you do get the slap in the face, where, where the Dukes exchange the dollar and they say, okay, well, what are we going to do now? And it's like, oh, we don't want Winthrop back because he's gone off the rails and now he's drunk, crazy, suicidal Santa Claus. And then Mortimer says, well, do you want to let Billy Ray keep running the, the, the company? Mm-hmm. Because he's really good at his job. Mm-hmm. And then Mortimer says, you think I'd let a nigger run our family business? And it's that slap where you realize, oh, right, these aren't charming old rascally men. Mm -hmm. These men are actually monsters. Yeah, yeah. But when you have the turnaround and you get the insider trading bit at the end, which there's been a surprising amount of scholarship about, like people (laughs) talking about how this scheme actually worked. My dumb ass just watched the movie and said, ooh, they won and they lost. But apparently people have really studied this. Well, they want to make sure, like, does it make sense like the the, the math of it makes sense. sure apparently apparently it did apparently the math maths right. i just never thought about it but when you think about it billy ray valentine and winthrop did what the dukes were trying to do mm-hmm. they actually engaged in insider trading yes and yeah they bankrupt the dukes mm-hmm. ha ha but then as they say in the bet the bet was can we make y'all broke but also make ourselves rich. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love how there isn't this false morality to it. It is just this kind of examination of this system. Mm-hmm. And you have people who are good at it. Yeah. And people who aren't as good at it. Mm-hmm. So that there's some unfortunate homophobic language. Yeah. There's certainly some, some parts of the film that don't age well. I don't know how much Jamie Lee Curtis needs to take her shirt off twice. Mm, and we'll talk about that. Again, there's the implied gorilla rape. You say implied. I do say implied. I say impaled. <laughs> some there are some people who feel some way about Dan Aykroyd's moment in blackface. Yes. Yes. But I, I was again impressed by how how well the film aged overall, especially mm. with these themes as we live here in 2021 and and we have people who are billionaires and we're about to have to come up with a new name for them, I think, because I think they're about to run out of billions and they flying to the moon and flying in space and yeah. stuff. And here in Philadelphia, <laughs> appropriately enough, it is, as we say, Robin season because mm-hmm. it's cold outside and wet and people are hungry and it's real crazy. Right. So that just as a film I think it remains a masterpiece, mm-hmm. but I was also impressed by how it serves as commentary on this thing yeah, called America. I'm going to push back on just a couple of things that you said before I get into my thoughts about the movie. Okay. Um, and one is not really a pushback, more just an uh, interesting observation mm-hmm. in regards to Dan Aykroyd and the, the blackface. Yes. And, you know, you can feel uncomfortable about it. I think it doesn't play very well now mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I think it's interesting in learning more about the background of the movie 
is that this film, and I didn't, I never knew this before doing the, doing the research, that this film was first um, created as a vehicle for Gene Wilder and, and Richard, Pryor. Richard Pryor, of course. And in thinking about that, first of all, as much as as beloved as Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder both were, I can't see either of them in this in this role. A younger Richard Pryor, maybe, mm-hmm. but Richard Pryor in 1983, that it kind of like started being a little bit more saccharine in some of some of his um, choices. I don't know if I necessarily saw him in this role. And Gene Wilder, there's never a moment where I can take my eyes off of Gene Wilder and feel like Gene Wilder never comes across as a jerk and in anything that I've ever seen him do. So I, <gasps> Oh my God! Have you have you never seen Willy Wonka? I've seen Willy Wonka, and as much as he does come off as a jerk, that big shock of hair, and his he he always seems like there's a sly grin over over his face. Okay, all right, go ahead, go ahead. All right, so so I I can't see them in this role, but I think it's interesting. I wonder how much of the script was changed once Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy are signed on to the film, because. Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor did do a scene where uh, Gene Wilder is in blackface Mm -hmm. in Silver Street. Yes. So I'm wondering if, you know, this is them trying to recreate that moment in this script for Trading Places. Right. And if so, that makes it even more icky that they would do this. Because, all right, we gave you the pass. Right. And, And you gave you the pass, one, because of the time. So people would like, you know, maybe you just didn't bother. Right, right, right. right. And, and, and again, it doesn't age well. It doesn't age well. Right. But now to 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 return to the well is like, yo, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. So that's one that's one observation. Um the other observation uh you mentioned about Jamie Lee Curtis and her taking off her, her clothes twice. Mm-hmm. And I honestly you know, I remember the one scene, the first time when she takes off her clothes, because it's almost like a, it's a funny line. Right. She says, it, right, you know, right. It's not the only thing that's free here. You know, right, right. Again, this is a mercenary cast. Right. Everybody is trying to get paid. Right. But I had totally forgotten that she had taken off, takes off her, her top later. And gets in bed with him to right. keep him warm. And Jamie Lee Curtis actually mentions, you know, she took this film as a as an opportunity to break out of the horror genre mm-hmm. to show the show her show her chops. But she also mentions in um, previous interviews how she never felt exploited until she made that move to mainstream, right, right? Because she had to now for the first time take off her top. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the films that she had done in the horror genre. Because of those slasher films, you think of there being a whole bunch of nudity in a, in a lot of those films, as the, in the many of them there were. She wasn't the one, right? She never, she never did that until Trading Places. Trading Places, and yeah. then I think she does then get take off her top with some, in a couple of other films going forward. So I thought that that was very interesting. It because, like you said, she pops yeah. in this film. You know, she, she I, I, first of all, I was always been a huge fan of her from her horror films, and I was happy to see her in this movie. 
And I think she is funny. I think she is engaging. I think she is um, like does not shy away from the the scenes because she shares a lot of a lot of the screen time with Dan Aykroyd, mm-hmm. who by now, like you mentioned, veteran performer and writer on the original Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. not ready for primetime players, big star because of the Blues Brothers and uh, and, and subsequent films. But she is toe-to-toe with Mm -hmm. Dan Aykroyd in this film. In a film which I probably agree with you is his best film. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do think that that is a shame that she walks away from that feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I champion her because of where she has come and that she is still a name considering, you know, let's face it, considering the age that Jamie Lee Curtis is now, that she is still a force in Hollywood, still a working, viable actress. You know, I champion her. I'm a big Jamie Lee Curtis. Fan. Well, well, the irony is that she's gotten this second wind because of the Halloween. Well, 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 true. But she, you say second wind. She's she actually never lost. She right. she was always riding riding high. She took a dip because she was making she was making her bones writing books. Mm-hmm. So she, she was doing her damn thing. So God bless her. The one pushback I will make. Big mention is you talk about when Eddie Murphy, they make him, you know, they do the switch and they make him the rich guy. You say, and you said that he becomes that guy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think your implication is that he becomes maybe not as quite like Winthorpe, but a bit on the Winthorpe side. Yeah, I think there, there's actually the scene where the Dukes talk about Winthorpe. And say, you know, he doesn't have a job. It's cold outside. Mm-hmm. And he almost parrots mm-hmm. what Winthorpe says in their initial meeting. Yes. When he says, throw the book at him and, and you know, you can't be soft on these people. And, and right. he says, you know, he had money to buy drugs. Right. The difference there, though, is that as opposed to when Eddie Murphy, Billy Ray Valentine first meets Winthorpe is when they bump in the street. Mm-hmm. And the bump in the street is is actually accidental. Yes. And Winthorpe um, accuses Eddie Murphy of trying to steal his briefcase. Billy Ray Valentine, Eddie Murphy's character, is actually trying to hand him back the the briefcase. That's true. He is being one hundred percent honest in that he does not. You know, mean any malice to Winthorpe? Is he a is is he a street hustler trying to get over on the system? <laughs> Definitely. But is he trying? Is he one hundred percent a bad dude? Mm-hmm. No. Um, conversely, when Winthorpe comes into the building as Bad Santa, Winthorpe holds a pulls out a gun. That's true. He holds him at, holds holds him at gunpoint. And then threatens to kill him. You're right. And and as you say, plants drugs that he got from somewhere there. So for Eddie Murphy to say, no, you can't take a chance. You can't take, a, you know, give these people a break. Winthorpe has already like ratcheted up, <laughs> you know, so that, that actually is a valid take. For that, him to, you to know have. what? You are right. You are right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't I don't blame him at all. OK, OK. Shit, beat his ass with the book. <laughs> you know? All right, so that's my pushback. All that being said, you're right. 
while there are parts of the film that doesn't don't age well, this is a knockout of a movie. It is funny. It is timeless. I, I because I love old movies, a huge Donamichi fan. Mm-hmm. But even more so, I'm a fan of Ralph Bellamy. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Bellamy, if you ever watch some of his older movies, he more or less is still playing the same guy. Mm-hmm. Because while he is definitely amoral in this movie, you get the sense that Don Amici is really the one yeah. is like he's really the dude that's like like really turning the screws on this, right? And Rob Bellamy is just the brother that kind of goes along because my brother is what we do. It's what we do for kicks. So he's just this is how he wears his privilege. Mm-hmm. And if you ever watch old movies with Ralph Bellamy, he pretty much plays the same kind of character. Mm-hmm. Always kind of rich, slightly dopey, a little all shucks, you know, um, but doesn't really mean but so much harm. Mm-hmm. I just can't help it that I am in those times, tall, good looking, and just a little, right. you know? So I enjoyed, really enjoyed Ralph Bellamy, you know, in this film. Denim Elliott, seen him in everything, you know, um, huge, huge fan in almost everything that he does. Remind me, because I want to make sure I'm correct. Isn't he in the Raiders movies as well? Raiders of the Lost Ark? I think he yes, plays. Yes, he is. He plays. He like doesn't. His, he is indeed. He's like his, the, yeah. the head guy at the school. I was about to say, he's, yes. And then gets on. He's the, head of the, the department. Adventure. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Adventure. So loved him in those movies. He's as fin- well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I always enjoy him. The movie, like you said, the opening montage of this film, which, like, you're right, it does show the have and have nots of Philly. I would also argue that it also shows a little bit of that middle class as well. But uh, because you'll you'll see the Italian market, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see Rittenhouse Square, mm-hmm. but you also see the the middle class. You also see some part some some lower end areas of Philadelphia. All of them side by side, jumping in and out. Everybody from all economic strata climbing into the subway train waiting for the L um i think this opening montage much like you know people herald the rocky film this is a timestamp for philadelphia yeah and i actually think it ages better than the rocky film i think it ages so much better because yeah. that is so ethnic in in, yeah. in one place and this it's all over philadelphia yeah. And it showcases Philadelphia beautifully. And it showcases all of the colors of Philadelphia because, you know, while Eddie Murphy is the lone black star in the film, this film is peppered with color. Yeah. All, all yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, so you see the full flavor of Philadelphia on display in this film. The comedy is is top notch. Um, it, it, the, the script is... It, it crackles. It leaves room for Eddie Murphy to be Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. which makes sense because, like you said, this is his second film. So he is still very pure. He's still learning how to really be a character. So in in some ways, this is his character from 48 Hours, but just in a true comedy. Right. You know, it doesn't have to play more of the serious or action roles. Right. Um, and you can see Eddie, like, really leaning into it and having a good time 
with it. Um, and there is not a dull moment. You're right. There's not a pause moment on the film. The film gives you, it does a good job because Dan Aykroyd famously, because he was part of a troupe on Saturday Night Live, and then because he becomes more or less the straight man to John Belushi right. in a lot of his things. Right. And and even in, in Ghostbusters, where he's one of four, he pretty much is kind of like, like, you know, that other guy in a lot of things. Yes. You know, that's 100% correct. But this is a film. So, and with Eddie Murphy being on the rise, popping right out of 48 hours. And at this point, he's still kind of going back and forth with Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. So he is still omnipresent in people's faces every week. You run the risk of him stealing the movie mm -hmm. from Dan Aykroyd. But this film, and to its credit, Dan Aykroyd's uh, talent, you get invested in Dan Aykroyd. He gets funny moments. He gets the pathos. You, Some might argue he also gets the girl in the film as well. But, I mean, that's what's going to happen. But you, he holds his own with Eddie. Oh, yeah. In this oh, film. yeah. And I think that's one another reason why this is probably his, his best performance. Um, because he gives as much as he takes and he and in giving i think in learning how to operate with john belushi he knows how to operate with eddie murphy and it would have been interesting to see them maybe do another movie together, yeah yeah you know well i think what's it, it's interesting when you talk about his relationship with a john belushi with you know, a Chevy Chase with the Bill Murray, basically. Oh, that's right, because he was in the Chevy Chase. Yeah, basically that 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 cohort mm -hmm. from Saturday Night Live, and mm -hmm. I think you're right where he is always, almost the straight man. Yeah, to them. A, for a movie called Trading Places. I mean, it's. It, I mean, actually, that makes sense. Trading Places. There's a fair amount of time that the two of them aren't together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that this is one of the few films, and I talk about. I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm. There aren't many of us on this island, but that's why I'm a fan of Doctor Detroit. Okay, because you get to see Dan Aykroyd by himself, mm -hmm. and I think the, uh, you know, like I said, there's a subtlety to his performance. Mm -hmm. Like I do love that first twenty minutes or so mm -hmm. where yeah. he's yeah. the rich guy. Yeah. But he's playing this character mm -hmm. of the he's rich playing guy. the rich guy. He's playing yeah. the rich guy. Yeah, and it's it's something that every time you see it, it rewards you mm -hmm. because you just pay more and more attention to it. Something I, I I did want to clarify when I said it's the haves and the have-nots, and like you said, they do show the middle class. And but much like I said, with that wonderful sleight of hand that the beginning of the film shows mm -hmm. i think what the film is arguing is that there is no middle class it well, really yeah, is yeah. the haves yeah well how do i know if i'm a half well or how do i know i'm a have not well are you a have mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. well congratulations you're a have not right and it's kind of like people talk about now when we talk about these issues, and I think I may have said, because I always say it, like, I'm way closer to being poor than I am to being rich. So, like, mm -hmm. I would never, ever 
kind of align myself with rich guys. Right. And I think this film made that argument in 1983. Mm-hmm. Again, Winthorpe lives in the fly brownstone. Winthorpe has Coleman bringing him croissants, mm-hmm. which in 1983, I think you had to actually go to France to mm-hmm. get a croissant. Like you couldn't go to Costco and get a croissant. Yeah. And, you know, he's running the, 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 the brokerage house. Mm-hmm. He's still just another dude that worked for the Duke brothers that for a dollar, I will destroy your life. Yeah, and the other thing is, not only does he work for the Duke Brothers, because I have forgotten until watching this film again, you realize he has this brownstone. He has Coleman. But then you learn, maybe he doesn't have the brownstone because you learn Coleman actually works for the Duke. Right, right. This is the Duke's house. Yeah. This is the Duke's butler. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Right. Because, because... Coleman, you know, because he works for the Dukes, gets in on the gag, yeah, more or less. Yeah, Coleman knows from the very beginning what's but, happening. But then once the gig is up, Coleman, you know, is on the side of the Angels. I personally think Coleman got off a little bit too easy. Well, I'm my pushback, and you just said at the side of the Angels, what I love about the film, these are not good people. Okay. These are just the people that we like better than the Dukes. Like, these are all, like, everybody... So that's how Coleman looks at Winthorpe. Right. Everybody's trying to get paid, and I thought it was significant. They have two moments with Coleman. Like, remember, Coleman makes the, the, the crepes. Yeah. And they, 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 they show you just how elaborate this operation is mm-hmm. and, and, and how much effort goes into Coleman making the crepes. And then... um Winthrop's girlfriend Penelope basically wants to have sex with him. So Winthrop says, "Well, you know, I don't want it now. You can have you it. can have it." And they show him throw it in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Later on, when Billy Ray is in the house, and now Coleman has to make hors d'oeuvres and 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 for the big party for the big party, and he sneaks a drink. Mm-hmm. So they establish that Coleman has this relationship with his employers through food. Mm. And how these two employers treat food. Mm. I thought it was significant for the first time today at the end of the film. Now that Coleman is a rich guy. Oh, yeah. And Coleman asks his new lady, what should we have for lunch? The crack crab or the lobster? Mm-hmm. And she says, why can't we have both? And Coleman, who has been a butler who knows how difficult it is to make lunch for rich people is now a rich person and says, yeah, make both of them. He takes great delight in that. And takes great delight in that. Because as much as I like Coleman, and I do, I think Coleman brings a lot of warmth to this film. I think Coleman is just as mercenary as everybody in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, ain't nobody in this, like, like, I love the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis's character isn't a hooker with a heart of gold. Right. Like, she makes a calculation. She mm-hmm. looks at his hands. She says, you have a manicure. You've never done any manual labor. It seems like you're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a risk and invest in you. Yeah. I love the fact that Winthorpe try, like, actually tries to commit suicide. He does. Like, it's not played for jokes. He tries to shoot himself, and then he takes pills. Mm-hmm. He has not found the love of a good woman no. at this point. Yeah, it's only when Billy Ray comes and, and the jig is up. So 
yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, I love that about this film. Like, mm-hmm. I love how sort of vigorously amoral this mm-hmm. film is. Yeah, like it feels very much like a modern film. Yes, right. Which, outside of you know Charles Dickens, always has this real kind of moral mm-hmm. backdrop to it. So people, because if you look at people, oh yeah, it's like Oliver Twist, or you know, this isn't Charles Dickens, but you know, people talk about it being the Prince and the Pauper, mm-hmm. but. I don't feel like this has that morality to it. No. That these other works have. So, which you, makes me love it more. You mentioned the word subtle. Mm hmm. I will now illustrate to you how actors, especially extras, subtly go about <laughs> making their mark in a movie. And for that, ladies and gentlemen, I give you one Giancarlo Esposito <laughs> as cellmate number two. Cellmate number two. Who, knowing that he is in this film just to be cellmate number two and to stand as <laughs> Eddie Murphy's Billy Ray Valentine gives this full, fantastical story about why he is in prison. And two, cellmate number two, Cellmate white guy and bandana. Do-rag. A- Do-rag. Yes. AKA Eddie Murphy's childhood uh friend uh Curtis Smith. Clint. Clint Smith. Clint Smith, who has a role in pretty much a-, a lot of Eddie Murphy films. People would recognize him the most as the third barber from Coming to America. You ain't never meet no Martin Luther the King. <laughs> Giancarlo Esposito, who maybe has not even a line. I was about to say. Maybe two words. Like, yeah, he's barely have right. Says anything in this film. But you know it's Giancarlo Esposito because Giancarlo Esposito has come up with a, a backstory for cellmate number two <laughs> where cellmate number two is only in prison because he was caught trying to recreate that famous scene from fame where all the kids are just dancing in the streets. Mm-hmm. And he was arrested in the streets and brought to prison. How do you know that is his backstory? Because he is standing there with his hands <laughs> holding the bars. <laughs> spread. Spread. Yeah. One leg up. <laughs> tank top. So that his his arms and the flexing of them <laughs> can be gratefully adorned as he sits and listens <laughs> intently to Billy Ray Valentine. Physically, I think there is more of him in the frame than Eddie Murphy at points. There is. Like, he really, like, this really isn't a case of, is that him? I don't know if that's him or not. No. Like, it is 100% Giancarlo Esposito this is, because he has 100% positioned himself so that you can see him. He has filled the screen. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. This is, ladies and gentlemen, introducing Giancarlo Esposito. Right, right. If y'all not going to give me a credit, I'm going to make, I'm gonna make it right. my credit. Right, right, right. Karate Man brews on the inside. Right. But it's Giancarlo Esposito filling the screen. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much so... I bet trading places is still, still on his, on his 
on his resume. <laughs> well, well, when you look at the cast, it's, it's funny, you know, you go to um, Google and you get the cast and you know how it says show more mm-hmm. like like it'll show like the first two lines. Giancarlo Esposito is on the second row See? as cellmate number two. See? See? There you go. There you go. Like there's everyone we talked about. Mm-hmm. There's Penelope, who was Lewis's girlfriend. Muffy is on there. Remember, Muffy was one of the other girls sitting wow. at the table. Wow, Muffy. Frank Oz is on there as a cop because it's Frank Oz it's Frank and, and Oz. the cameo. And he is funny. Yeah. But then it's Giancarlo Esposito. As cellmate number two. As cellmate number two. He gets on there before Al Franken. He gets on there b- before Bo Diddley, who plays the pawn shop guy, who has a great line talking about mercenary mm-hmm. and capitalism. I, I, I adore the exchange in the pawn shop mm-hmm. where Winthrop is trying to, to pawn his watch. And he's given all of, you know, this is the finest watch and, and it's waterproof right. and it's this fine German engineering and it's $6,900 retail and this, that, and the other. But Bo Diddley's pawn shop owner tells him how this works. Well, in Philadelphia, it's worth $50. <laughs> Because all this stuff mm-hmm. only has the value that people will give you for it. That's right. So it's like this wonderful, uh, you, you know, sort of um, adjacent scene to the wonderful scene where the Dukes explain to Billy Ray what it is they do, and and you know, and they uh, talk, they they talk about you, you being com- com- commodities, commodities are. brokers, and and how they do this in commissions, and mm-hmm. and all of this. And Billy Ray says, oh, y'all are bookies. Yes. Because this is all the same system. That's right. Some people just have fancier names for it. It's a great movie. It it really is. And and I think it's the type, I think you have to talk about it being great. Because I think it's a type of film that either A, people haven't seen it. Or B, they haven't seen it in a long time. Like if you haven't seen Trading Places in a long time. You should watch it. Mm-hmm. You should you because it it really does hold up. It really does. It really does. So, with that, I, I take it that you are recommending. I am strongly recommending Trading Places. Like I won't go so far as to say it's required viewing, mm-hmm. like I do for a lot of these films mm-hmm. that that are this good. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 a great movie. It really is, and and I do think. Um, it resonates. It really does resonate right now when, when we talk about the obscenity of wealth. Yeah. With 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 some of these people and how it's just it's just getting it's just getting more and more. There's no other word for it. Obscene. And the Duke brothers, the way, like I said, I adore them as characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm very strongly recommending this film. Would you recommend this for a, as a, a movie to watch at Christmas? I think it's a Christmas movie. I think if I think for a certain type of person, like I think, oh, I think it's a wonderful life is an amazingly dark film. Mm-hmm. I think, um, 
what is it? I think, is it the year without a Santa Claus where Santa Claus says he's going to quit because that one kid's a dickhead? <laughs> the animated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I, like, I think there's a vein of really dark <laughs> Christmas. I mean, I, I mean, frankly, I think a Charlie Brown Christmas is pitch black. Yeah, it's it's not the yeah. Ooh, like a yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas is just bleak. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's with a nice tree. Yeah, but you got to get to you that. Gotta get to the tree. You yeah, you got to get you got to get through the shadow of the valley of death, which Charlie Brown goes through for twenty two minutes. That's very true. So along those lines. Or um, another lonely Christmas. I always think about Prince's song, "Another Lonely Christmas." Mm. Yeah, mm. which he's about his dead girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I just looked it up. Ever since 1997, the Italian channel Italia One broadcast Trading Places and Christmas Eve Nightfall, uh, and it regularly gets more than ten uh, percent of the share. So, oh. Well, hit. there you go. There you go. I would definitely recommend people to, to watch uh, Trading Places. Um, it's funny. It's spot on. Like I said, there are parts of it that don't age well, but they quickly pass. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, so it's it it's it's a, a very funny, engaging film, and it's quick. It, it doesn't last long. It's I, I mean, but it's two hours. I know, but it doesn't feel like it. Uh, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you shouldn't. It doesn't feel like it. A uh, Farrell Blackwell says that Trading Places should be aired as the last of a Christmas trilogy, featuring a Charlie Brown Christmas and Christmas Story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but a Christmas Story is fun. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was going for bleak. Well, well, he says the last of a Christmas trilogy. Right, right. And I think the idea is you're getting to the adult movie. Oh, okay. I get you. You know what I mean? So right. you got the animated right. the Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, Christmas story, which is for the family. Yes. And then trading places. Here's where I would disagree with Farrell Blackwell. Okay. Because to your point, a Charlie Brown Christmas, because of our nostalgia, feels like it's must see. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe it is must see. Yeah. But it is dark. It is. So I would say if your family has already seen a Charlie Brown Christmas before, that instead think of a Charlie Brown Christmas by playing the music of Vince Giraldi. Vince Giraldi, yeah, they, they look. Is it Giraldi? It's, I think it's a hard G. Okay, Vince Giraldi. Mm-hmm. Play that music and then start your uh Christmas trilogy, but begin since you want to go animate it with the Grinch that stole Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Th- which is genuinely funny, yeah. a little dark, a little but dark. Definitely ends in a happier in ends in a lighter, place. brighter place. Right. Then go to a Christmas story. Okay. And end with trading places. Trading places. That's I think the route to go. Okay. Okay, but make sure you watch Trading Places. But make sure you watch Trading Places. Now, are, now I don't want to turn to a thing. Are you a Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not? I mean, I'm fine with it being seen as a Christmas movie. I don't think I ever 
thought about it before that argument came up. Mm-hmm. I just saw it as the, the best action movie, like one of the best action movies ever. Yeah, oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, I'm I'm fine with it being if you want to see it a Christmas movie. So if you want to throw some action in on your Christmas, do a little Die Hard. Do a little Die Hard. Do a little Die. Yippee Kaye, you know. motherfucker. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. I guess uh Reg- Reginald Reginald Vell Johnson. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I can't use him to get Die Hard on here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love Die Hard. Because no, you're right. Because no. die, die Hard is perfect. You you, you have a, a better argument with Die Hard three. Die Hard because three. Of Samuel Jackson. Right. You you said that before, and now I realize I don't remember anything about Die Hard three. Really? I mean, it's probably the second best Die Hard. No, I mean, okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> wow. And I saw it. I know I've seen it. I just don't remember anything about it. Ah, you got to watch it again. Yeah. It gives you all your lethal weapon feels. Oh, I don't know about that. You can so slow down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that does it for our review of Trading Places. Before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week, because we actually have a bit of a curveball to throw you. Uh-oh, watch out now. I invite you all to like and follow the Michelle Mission on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission on YouTube at Michelle Mission. Email all of your thoughts, concerns to Michelle Mission at gmail.com. Michelle Mission is spelled M I C H E A U X M I S I O N. Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. Go to Michelle Mission dot com and hit swag where you can find all of our cool designs and gifts available for the holiday season from our good friends at t public the michelle mission is a proud member of the podglomerate thepodglomerate.com curated podcast for your listening pleasure they make podcasts work and also if you want to help us where you listen to the show give us a five-star rating and review because believe it or not, that really helps people find our show. Okay. Next week on the Michelle Mission, mm-hmm. we were scheduled, if you're following on our on our website, we were scheduled to review the film Honky. Yes. With uh, Randy Green, yeah. a.k.a. Arson, the voice of reason from the, the uh, chart-topping bluegrass hip-hop band Gangsta Grass. Yes, sir. However, he had to call an audible because he's actually going to be in the studio. Oh, yeah. Working on new stuff. Hey, make that music. Make that music. So we are holding off Honky because that was his film. Mm-hmm. But we have found another guest. And boy, have we got a great guest guest for you, ladies and gentlemen, next week here on the Michelle Mission. As we sit with Joanne Griffith of American Public Media. Yes. And review from 2016, Hidden Figures. Black ladies mathing it. Yes. Next week, episode 280 will be Hidden Figures. Yes, sir. Guest Joanne Griffith of American Public Media. Next week on the road to 300 here on the Michelle Mission. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to